0: Good morning, I'm glad to see everyone here today. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, as we conclude our series on this book together. Uh, if you're wondering where Habakkuk is, you've never been in that book, we're just looking at the last four verses. If you start in the book of Matthew and, and go back, uh, well, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, I Zechariah, okay, five books, there we go. There you go, you've got it, right? I've said that enough times, I should remember that, but <clears throat> if you go back from Matthew, five books, you'll be there. The book of Habakkuk is a very interesting book as it relates to uh, understanding God and discovering God in the midst of adversity. We said in the beginning as we started this book, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. And then whatever sticks at that point, (laughs) God be with you, right? And Habakkuk is one who's experienced adversity in his walk with God, not, not on behalf of just himself, but for the nation uh, of Israel. And so he, he writes this book wrestling in a very personal way on, on discovering where God is in the midst of adversity. And what makes this book so unique is that it's found in the prophetic books. And by nature, the, the purpose and function of a prophet is to represent God before the people. He would dis- declare messages of the Lord to God's people, relay messages from God. He would represent God to people. But in the book of Habakkuk, it's taken the opposite role. Habakkuk is now wrestling in his relationship with the Lord, coming before God in the midst of adversity. And so we've looked at a very difficult book over the last three weeks on, it's a book on wrath, a book on discipline. It is not easy. We saw in the beginning that Habakkuk is in a place of desperation, a place of pain, a place of sorrow, a place of writing country music. And, and by the end of the book, he is, he is in a place of joy, a place of celebration, a place of worship. He finds maturity through opposition, hope in adversity, and joy in difficulty, And this morning as we look at these last four verses, these verses are sort of the the conclusion statement that walks throughout the theme of what this book was about. He goes through this emotional experience for us, exercising his spirituality to demonstrate how he finds maturity and growth in the midst of his opposition. This this last four verses that we're we're about to look at together is the outworking of what the theme of Habakkuk is. Was is found in chapter two and verse four. We we said when we got to that point, it is the pinnacle of what Habakkuk is about. It is a a verse that's quoted throughout the New Testament by authors, and then the theme is this: the just shall live by faith. God hasn't given up on his people. In fact, he's using the experience of what Israel is about to go through to draw Israel back to him, to experience maturity in those moments, and to walk with God again. When Habakkuk starts these four verses, it says to us in in the opening verse, in verse 16, Habakkuk's describing what he's experiencing inwardly. This is the place that he was uh, apart from God in in looking in himself and depending upon himself and the adversity he's about to face. And this is what he says. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my um, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Habakkuk calls this verse weak in the knees theology. I tend to call this verse trash can theology. It's one of those things where you realize in front of you is something that's resting, that's difficult, and you say to yourself, I'm about to be sick, grab the can, right? Right? Habakkuk understands that that the circumstances in which he is in as he's looking inwardly, inwardly, the the challenge is beyond him so much that it begins to affect him physiologically. He begins to to feel weak in the knees and and lose his strength and quiver at, at, at the circumstance, knowing that things aren't going to be easy. Habakkuk wrestles with this. You know, in our society today, we tend to look at obstacles in which we are are facing and, and the, the immediate response within our mind is, how do I find pleasure again? How do I be happy again? And and we, we sort of try to shelf or push aside things that bring uh, distress in our lives and immediately look for the quick fix that brings happiness again. Let's just get that homeostasis back. Let's feel good about it and move forward. And I think Habakkuk in this text is ultimately moving forward in what will bring him hope, what will bring him joy. But I just don't want to reflect so quickly upon the coming verses and how Habakkuk feels that to miss what he's expressing in verse 16. I think it's important that God can use circumstances of weakness, circumstances of distress in our lives to drive us towards what ultimately matters. Meaning, God can redeem God can use it for his glory and I'm not saying now go seek pain but God ultimately uses that to drive us towards what does matter and as Habakkuk looks within himself inwardly he then dives a little further to look outwardly he says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, and though the yield of the olive should should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, <clears throat> yet I will exult in the Lord. So when Habakkuk describes his outward circumstances, he's saying this, not only, not only is the garden not giving us the crops, and not only are the vines not producing the fruit, but when you plant a garden and it does not grow, not only do you not have food for that year, but you have no seed from the plant that will produce food for next year. Not only is there no animals in the stall, but there's, there's no animals in the field because, because the animals are gone. So Habakkuk is saying, not only do we not have food for this year, but we don't have things to provide for ourselves for the foreseeable future. And so when he looks inwardly, he, finds, he does not find the strength in which he needs to depend on through his circumstance. And when he looks outwardly, he again does not find the strength to depend on through the circumstance. But when he looks upwardly, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on my high places. Now I gotta tell you, Habakkuk, when, he, when he's looking upwardly, he, he finds place to rejoice in God. And we'll talk about how that happens in a minute. But, but to describe that, I, out of everything I could pick, you know, hinds feet's probably not the top on my priority list. You know, you, you ask a hunter where, you, where you're going. Where are you going hunting today? I'm, I'm going hinds hunting. I mean, what is a hind? It's, in this passage, it's, it's talking about a deer, and Habakkuk may be reflecting and thinking about hunters during his time that they would chase animals through the mountains and just, uh, just be in awe of these animals they couldn't catch. They would navigate through these hills, just so incredible on terrain in which no one else could stand, these deers could stand. And I got to say, you know, I'm not a hunter, I don't chase deer, and, and this to me, okay, whatever, right? But, but when it warms up outside, I love to hike in the mountains. And every year when it's summertime I've got two things on my priority list. I want to see a moose and I want to see a white mountain goat. I don't know if you've ever had the luxury of seeing a white mountain goat, but but when you when you go to the top of Mount Temp or Thunder Mountain and behind us or on the east of our church here, these white mountain goat, they stand on the world's smallest rock and they jump over a cliff of impending doom. And it's like they don't even care. They don't even think about it. They'll just jump 10 feet across this precipice of everlasting death. And they, they leap from the world's smallest rock only to find the new world's smallest rock. And they just stand there like, yeah, I just stuck that, everyone. Look at this. <laughs> it, and when you see them in the mountains, they, they have no concern for anything else in life. I mean, they're walking so sure, sure-footed. They're, there's not a predator that's going to touch them. They're so high up on such small rocks that they just confidently just move around like, this is me. And I am better than everything. (laughs) And what Habakkuk is trying to express in this. Verse is that there is this sure footing in which he has discovered. Now, some of you are like, man, I am not outdoors. I don't get the goat thing. I mean, the goats are, goats are weird. They're, they're more weird than deer, Nathaniel. So, you're on your own to that. So, let me just, let me maybe break it down the way that relates to you today. I mean, you, ever, you ever go outside to check your mail during this time of year and you're thinking, you know, I'm not properly dressed for this, but I think I can make it to the box. And, and, and you step outside, and as soon as you step outside, that cold breeze hits you and you're like, I, I was not ready for that. And immediately your mind goes goes to the place of that guy who's on the beach somewhere in shorts, just soaking in the rays in the perfect temperature. You're like, I, I want to be him. I want, I want the security of that right now. This is when your mind goes there. I mean, that's, that's that what Habakkuk is saying in the midst of winter. He has found the beach. I mean, he is in San Diego in these moments, right? How, how in the world do you be the, the deer on that beach, right? I mean, how, how does Habakkuk come through all of these challenges recognizing that in, in verse 16, he doesn't have the strength. In verse 17, outwardly, there, there isn't this, this, this substance to sustain him, but upwardly, he's sure-footed. I mean, he stuck it, impending doom all around, and with confidence, he rests there. How do you be that? The context of chapters 1 through 3 just illustrates this throughout Habakkuk. And I just want to give a summary of of what we found in these chapters. And what I I would say this is when when Habakkuk begins this experience, he he discovers that, that God uses adversity to help us depend on what endures. To help us depend on what ultimately matters. He recognize in the life of Habakkuk what he's discovering in these points is, is that every other joy in life can be taken from you but one. Everything in the drop of a hat in the blink of an eye the things in which you place joy in, in life, it can be ripped from you, but, but one thing that can't, and that is your place in, in Christ. And, and God is bringing Habakkuk to this place of recognizing that, that he, he is the Redeemer that we found in chapter two and verses four and, and verses 20 and chapter three and verses two and, and verse 13. That, that the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 49, when God talks about the restoration of Israel, he says this, "Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Everything that Habakkuk has learned, above all else, that there is one thing He needs, and that is Christ. In the Bible. tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, in everything give thanks. What this passage doesn't say is for everything give thanks. In in everything give thanks is much different than saying for everything give thanks. And what I mean is this, like when, when something bad happens in your life, you don't have to be like, man, that was awesome. I'm thankful for that bad thing. That was way great. Let's do it again. Rather... What Habakkuk is saying is rather than being thankful for it, or what, what Thessalonians is saying is that rather than be thankful for it, in it, he finds a place to, to discover thankfulness. Why? Because his hope, his hope was resting in everything inwardly, everything outwardly. But the people of Israel were no longer looking upwardly. And a God who who was capable and able in restoring and sustaining in him a a place to wrap their hope in something that would never be taken away from them. And when you read in the New Testament and individuals like the Apostle Paul, you can see it in the the book of of Acts. He's he's in, in the dungeons singing hymns to God. How in the world, in adversity, does Paul sing praise to God? Because his hope wasn't the circumstantial. His hope was in the eternal. And a God who ultimately sustains beyond this world. The second thing Habakkuk learned is that God's power meets me in my weakness. You know, if I'm being honest with you, if I knew Everything life would throw at me, or was going to throw at me, if, if I knew the challenges of church planting before I planted churches, I don't know I'd have the strength to get up, to endure the day, let alone the year, of all the ups and downs life has. I don't know that I would have it within me to even face what needed to be faced with, with the strength it took to overcome. I think in, in many cases, when it comes to our lives, ignorance is bliss in that way. But what Habakkuk learns is that God's power meets him in my weakness. I mean, you think in yourself, if that ever happened to me, I have no idea how I would get through that. The Bible tells us, Philippians chapter 4. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God doesn't call us to worry about tomorrow. God calls us to find strength in him today. Sufficient for today are the burdens at hand, right? As people, we don't have the ability to carry the weight of the past and the weight of the future. But our God does. And sometimes we look at the challenges that life may bring and wonder how in the world would I ever work through this. But Habakkuk discovers and and the book of Philippians echoes this, that God in the midst of our adversity gives us the the strength to endure as he leads us in this world. And I would say for for believers, for for Habakkuk, a mark of maturity, he, he shares with us is that I can't do it. It's trash can theology. God can. The reality is, as Habakkuk finds within these chapters, is that God may not change the circumstance. But he can change us to meet the circumstances. And Habakkuk begins to learn this lesson not not by thinking less of himself, but really by becoming selfless. And what I mean is, is we, we don't, you don't have to beat up the image of who you are apart from God. I, I know that we're sinful creatures, but God still made you beautiful. God still created you in his image. God made you for for a purpose. God sees value in who you are because he's ultimately given his life for you. And, and so you don't have to think less of yourself, but what Habakkuk learns to do is to think selfless because as he's challenging himself in the strength to overcome, he says in verse. 16, I'm quivering, I'm weak in the knees but what he discovers is that the strength doesn't rest within him but his strength rests in the Lord God meets us in our time of need and third is this I think this last one I'm going to share with you is easy to say it's so easy to say but it's hard to do and what I mean is resting in God. You know, sometimes when we, you go outside in the wintry day, sometimes you want to be the guy on the beach, but I to tell you, to be honest, I've been the guy on the beach. I lived on the beach for a while and it's not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, you get sand in every crevice of your body. It is disgusting. Looks great on photos. Feels horrible when you walk away. Not to mention tourists and birds constantly over your head. You know what happens when you're around seagulls for so long? You start wearing what they're dropping. You know what I mean? But you know what makes, I think, sometimes the the beach such an appealing thing to people? Is you make it a priority to go there to relax. When, When you picture someone on the beach, one of the things that makes it such a joy is that they've just dropped the stress of the world to take some time to rest. Resting in God, though. Recognizing that the beach isn't always what it's cracked up to be, but the priority to rest, I mean, that is. And not just in the substances of the world, but in the one who made it. Rest in God. And we carry our stresses, in some cases, like it's up to us. You remember Habakkuk's complaint in the beginning. Like, God, what are you going to do about all these people? He's stressing out about his people. God, what are you going to do about all these people? What, how Do you even care about these people? And you could just see him wearing it and the concern. And, and, and the reality is, is is, the changing of the hearts of people weren't, weren't, weren't up to him. It's, it's up to God. <clears throat> when it comes to resting in God. I think one of the important truths that we as people need to just recognize is um, we aren't better parents than God. Let me tell you what I mean. When you think of as a parent, if you think of a child or, or maybe if you're not in, uh, <clears throat> don't relate in that way. If, if you've served in some sort of capacity in life where you're married to someone or, or, or you are involved in some sort of service that's around protecting people. The general thought is when it comes to children, when it comes to protecting people, you, you just care about people. When it comes to your own kids, parents, the way that you would love them, if I'd say, what would you do just to, to help your child, provide for your child? If your child was in danger, how far would you go to, to preserve their life and to help them in their time of need? And, and, and parents would respond, I, I mean, I would risk my life. If, if a building was burning and my kid is there, I'm running in, I'm risking. I, 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 I wanna help them. I wanna save them. I love them. I, I care about them when it comes to your relationship with your child and the love that you have for them I think it's important just to stop and say and even in that love you're still not a better mother or father than God and what I mean is, however crazy, obsessive you might become in making sure that the, the provision for your child is taken care of and your love for them is expressed and, and they're protected and they're safe, whatever the extent that you would go, however crazy you may describe for me, you would be in those moments where you knew you needed to, to provide a rescue. God's more. God loves you that much more. So much so that his own life, his own life risked. So much so that in the book of Habakkuk, the the song of praise in which Habakkuk sings is centered upon a God who redeems, that the just live by faith, that God rescues his people, that God loves his children. In fact, when you read in the book of, of 1 John, I mean, it's the theme to how John expresses our, our relationship to God. He, he starts in, in, in chapter 4, in verse 4, he says this, Dear children. Dear children. I mean, his, his words in this moment are just expressing the intimacy and love that God has for you. You are dear children. In fact, within this chapter, in verse 16, I'm going to read the rest of this verse in a minute, but in verse 16, this is what he says. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. That God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God. Listen, the first part of this verse says to us, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. There's a, there is a challenge within us where we, we actually think that, that we might be a better parents than God in a sense like this. We'll, we'll describe the way that we'll love our children, love our children, love our children. And then when it comes to God, we're like, ah, does he, does he really care? I mean, does, does he really love me? And what First John is saying in this is, is that, listen, this is so important, guys, that we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. That there is a place in the midst of life when inwardly there is weakness and when outwardly things are falling apart that you and yourself can find strength in resting in God, that God meets you in the hour of your need that you don't have to be concerned with how you overcome because it's not resting in your power to overcome but it's resting in the God who overcomes. He loves you like that. He cares for you like that and John is saying in this chapter I've come to know it and I've come to believe it and I'm sharing this with you that God God loves us in this way as his children Because God is love and who abides in love abides in God because God wants to wrap you in this to find in your life that everything else can be taken away. But the thing that sustains, the thing that matters is what the Lord can do in you that while circumstances around you may be chaotic, that God shows up in you to demonstrate his love because he loves you far more than you carry a love for your own children. Rest. Rest in that. Don't carry the weight of that. Bring it to a God who cares for you. And in 1 John 4, 4, as he writes this passage, it's what he says. Precious children, dear children, you are from God and have overcome them talking about the darkness of this world and spiritual forces because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Reality is for us seasons of life are always changing but the Lord does not. I mean if you go through different Aspects of, of of what it's like to walk with God. You can you can ask yourself when when you get married, how do you how do you walk with God, I, or how how do you do that? I, I don't know. Or when it's when you're single, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. When you have kids, I mean, how do you how do you do that? Right? I don't know. What's it like when you move to college? I mean, life's always changing. Different seasons when you move, when when your kids move, when you, when you change jobs, when you retire, when sickness comes your way, when death comes your way, and and riches and and in poor and and, and, and wealth and, and, and strength and, and weakness. How do, you, how do you walk with God in those seasons? I don't know. Every season of life, about the time you feel like you master it, it changes. And no one, no one's an expert as, at it. I mean, we're learning on the fly as that season of life comes along, expectedly or unexpectedly. What does it mean? You know, when we go through those seasons of life, I think the greatest lesson that we can learn is not how awesome we are at at defeating those seasons, but how great our God is in walking with us through them. In fact, in the book of Ephesians in chapter three, it says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That it's not about you taking that season of life and just owning it about how amazing you are at conquering things. But how great your God is at showing up in your time of need. At a point of brokenness, when you look within yourself and said, I don't have the strength that at that moment you meet with your God who does and you find it he supplies. He gives you the ability to overcome and to walk with him. I'm going to close with this story. When I, um, I love, I love outdoors. So you, you know that already, right? <laughs> Goats for some reason. <laughs> no one drop a goat off of my house, please. <laughs> um, but I love, every year my wife and I will try to make one trip to one of two locations. We'll either go to Zion or we'll go to Yellowstone. I love it. Zion, Yellowstone. We, t- we went to Yellowstone for the first time five years ago when she was, or six years ago, when she was eight or nine months pregnant with our first child. And uh, we, we went up to Yellowstone and we're thinking, man, we, we had planned this year we were going to go to Yellowstone and walk around and do all the hikes. And now she was about ready to pop and, and we could have had had the kid there. She was so close to that, but we were like, I don't know, this is even going to be a good trip. And we went up there and she loved it. We would drive down the road and Buffalo would walk in the trench. right. But, I mean, we get so close to Buffalo, you could smack them in the head from our vehicle. It was safe, right? So, but we're that close. She thought it was amazing. We're just eye to eye with these animals and, and Yellowstone is beautiful. But you know, one of the things that was, that was just a uh, shocking when we first got there uh, to the park, when we enter from the south zone or the east gate of Yellowstone, you can see the effects of a forest fire that just ravaged Yellowstone. I mean, you look at acres, thousands of acres just destroyed. You wonder, man, how would this ever recover? You learn something while you're there about, if you ask the forest rangers at least, about the beauty of your creator. In Yellowstone, you'll see that there are lots of pine trees growing around. And one of the pine trees that grows there is the lodgepole. A lodgepole, when it grows, its cones on the edge of its limbs will hold on to those cones for years, and nothing cracks them. Eventually, they'll fall to the ground in a heavy breeze or a windy day. But even when they land on the ground, nothing, nothing cracks them. Until intense heat comes, and when intense heat comes, finally the reason for those cones becomes a reality. They open. The seed comes out and again grows life in a place that's broken. And that's the book of Habakkuk. Sometimes in our lives, before we can see the hand of God working the way that God desires to work in our heart, It requires intense heat to acknowledge within ourselves that we have taken from God the place our soul was created to rest. And we have fought hard to hold on to things that don't matter because we have made ourselves the kings of our own kingdom. But it's not until the intensity of that heat comes along that we realize how vulnerable we are and the the things that we have built our life upon are just shaking sand. But when that heat comes... Finally, and even in desperation, we're, we're searching for something to sustain us, something to hold on to, something that endures, something that would crack open this guarded heart and let the goodness of God flow in. And sometimes we are afraid to do that because we wonder on the other end will it be filled with love? Does someone care? Am I out here on my own in this fire that I will never recover from? Or can my heart find something to uphold me? And I want to tell you this morning, you are not a better father or mother than God. He loves you with such intensity that in that intensity, He wants to meet you in the midst of that fire and take that heart and lavish His love on you. That in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of fire, He restores within you the beauty for which He has created. Encouragement. Stop fighting, take off the tough outer shell. And just cling, cling to Christ. What Habakkuk found in the midst of his cracking open, in the midst of his desperation. He just wanted to know, God, do you love me in all of this? And God says back to Habakkuk, live by faith. I am your savior. I am your redeemer. I care about you. These circumstances, they they aren't to punish you, but God will use them to draw you to him. Go to the shell. trust in your God.: This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpineBible.com.